The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my very special guest and my business partner, Brian Goldberg. Brian, welcome to A Current Life. Oh, thanks for having me, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Brian's a longtime Major League Baseball agent and attorney who has represented players such as Ken Griffey Jr. and others over the years. Brian has been an attorney for the past 25 years. Uh, Brian, I, I've tried to get Brian on the show since the show began a year and a half ago, and I appreciate your making the time to share your journey with us. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, um, you know, uh, Brian, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that we all have to overcome to kind of get where each of us is meant to be, so-called, sure. on our journey. So on that note, I'd like to start with your early years and ask you what you were like as a as a little boy growing up, and where did you grow up, and what, what was life like with your parents? Well, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and have, have come back here, basically. Uh, I'm about to uh, turn 53, and I've been here my whole life, except for three years of, uh, of law school that I stayed in Ohio and went to Toledo. But as far as childhood, uh, grew up in a great family situation. I mean, my parents uh, were married for 61 years. Unfortunately, my Father passed away a little less than uh, two years ago, and it was it was pretty traumatic for all of us. But they were married 61 years, just great role models. My mom, thank God, is still uh, living and, and doing well. And I'm the youngest of three kids, so there's about eight years between my brother and I. And then my sister is in the middle. She's about five years older, but pretty normal uh, uh, childhood, very happy. I mean, nothing uh, really traumatic. We, we grew up pretty modest, um, a small house. One one bathroom and and my brother and I shared a bedroom until until he went off to college. But uh, even though we didn't have a lot of money, just had had a ton of love, and I just I wouldn't change anything about my childhood. You know, um, well, I wanted to have you on the show because I and I know you know this about me. I happen to be in business and also a football agent, and yet my deepest passion in life is really baseball, and I wanted to be a baseball player, and so I. I love what you do, and I, I, I love the sport that you're involved with. And I'm curious, did your dad share a lot of that with you? Because I think back on my dad, and some of the greatest moments we had together was when we went to Crossley Field and that experience, and also we would toss the ball around and stuff like that. He passed away, as you know, close to 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. No, uh, you definitely hit on something there. I mean, uh, 
that was definitely a lot of bonding growing up with uh, with my father over baseball. And again, with my brother, who, who is also a sports fan, but probably not as passionate as uh, as I am. And we can get into later kind of what he does because I kind of look at myself as the as the the one who got the lucky break and does the toy store of life uh, uh, for a living and, and did well. But my brother's the one with the the conscience uh, of the family, and he's a social worker and director of a Jewish children's uh, charity down in the Gulf states. But no, as far as um, growing up, you know, with my brother being eight years older, and, and he was out of the house while I was still relatively young. And my dad and I used to go to a lot of baseball games, um, uh, some some other sports too. But you know, again, not having a a ton of money, it wasn't like you know we were going all the time. So when we went, it was really a special event. Well, you know, I I, I had the chance to to see Kenny, to see Junior when uh, at your father's funeral, and I know that that was a particularly uh, difficult time for you as it was for me when my dad died. And you know, I'm curious that that you you. You know, today when you talk about marriage and you talk about families, you don't see 61 years. You know, you just don't see it. And mm-hmm. and and so, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about you, and we'll talk about it a little bit later in more detail, is, you know, being a sports agent and being involved in the life of particularly a player with the status of, of Ken Griffey Jr. has to take you away a lot from your family and from your kids. And can you talk a little bit about your family and about how they've adjusted to what you do? Sure. No, that's that's a a great question, and I think it's sometimes the things that you know sports fans don't seem to realize. You know, sure they they spend their hard-earned money for the game and they root for their team, but they may not realize just the personal side of these people's lives and how difficult it is. And um, you know, and that was the one thing growing up that that I kind of was ingrained in is is pretty much the family being together every night for dinner and sure things would come up someone has a sports practice uh, a game to go to or this and that but my dad really didn't have a job where he would go out of town and and that is something that is just really difficult on families nowadays and i'm just so blessed i mean my wife robin we've been married almost 22 years and she's great. She's so understanding, and we have a, a great marriage. But I do have to say that as my career has blossomed, I had to make some decisions along the way, whether it be opportunities to represent athletes or coaches in other sports, which would take me away from home a different time of the year, so to speak, or to actually have such a much larger uh, baseball practice because – Junior was so young. Ken Junior was so young when he started, and I was still young when I started that I could have really kicked it up into a huge practice. But I always stopped short of of doing that because it's it's just to me so much more important to have that that awesome family life. And I know Junior Junior's the same way. I mean, I know it's easy to sound when someone's a successful athlete, but who he is as a as a, a husband, a father to his kids, and a son to his parents is much more important to him than the ball player he was. And so that's why in my case I just I never wanted to take this career to the crazy level that I was going to be one of those people that, you know, were were gone three days every week because I wasn't just doing one sport, but I was doing another sport at the other time of the year. So it's really a matter of priorities. Well you know I tried that and it, and football is certainly a a big enough venture, and I tried basketball, and it just got to be a 24-hour 
you know, uh, exercise, and I mm-hmm. decided to give the basketball part up. Um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that really there were no difficult times in your life growing up. I do think as you look back, is there one moment maybe that sticks out, a memory that sticks out where you had to overcome some kind of adversity or maybe something that, you know, you weren't particularly good at that you overcame and became good at or something that just was difficult for you because you really have exhibited in, uh, uh, as an adult, you know, this, this great family life and, and great business partner and the whole thing like that. But I'm curious, is there something that really troubled you as a child? Well, it, it's a good question because this kind of short-term troubled me, I say uh, cause a problem, but then I came to realize it was not really a big issue and it, it kind of reels you back in was that growing up in Cincinnati and and pretty ingrained in the Jewish community, a really good percentage of my friends came from families that had a lot of money and we didn't. And again, it wasn't that we were scraping to get by, but it was it was very uh, middle class and I couldn't do some of the things that they could, and it really bothered me at a very young age, but then I came to realize, still relatively young, maybe in high school years, that it, this really wasn't a big deal, and and so many of these friends back then were so generous to me, you know, always having me sleep over their house because they had the bigger house, or taking me to, to ball games because their family was the one with the season tickets, and, and things like that, and then I kind of came to realize maybe halfway through high school you know, this is not a hindrance because the important things are my parents were together and healthy and my brother and sister and I got along so well and still do to this day. So it reeled me back in. So what I thought was a difficult period or some adversity to get over ended up really not being the case. And in so many of those friends, I'm still good friends with uh, to the to this day. And I know a lot of this hangs true with uh, with you, Jimmy, just because you grew up here here too and and actually do business and are friends with people that you grew up with and and it kind of makes me proud that a lot of friends I grew up with both ones that had money and ones that that did not have money and maybe haven't done so well I still call them friends and I still get together with them you know I think when you're younger things look more difficult or seem more difficult and as you get older you kind of look at it and say well that wasn't really such a big deal and I think you're pointing out something that I think probably a lot of kids deal with every day. I think one of the great things that's happening with my children, and especially my youngest one, is that you know he's able to play on an AAU basketball team with kids from all walks of life, and you know uh, he's able to see what's important, and that's what led him to do the hoops for the homeless and made him more thoughtful about people who were less fortunate. So. I do think that you've been a great role model for your family, for your kids, and for, frankly, you seem to know more about what's going on with my kid than I do have. I'm so, <laughs> he, he talks to you and tells you things that I have to go to you and ask you, hey, what's going on with my son Lucas, you know? So, I don't know. You, you obviously know how to get through to these kids. Well, you know, I mean, the, 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 these these boys are sometimes the sons I never have because we have two daughters, and again, right. I wouldn't change a thing. I, you know, I love uh, our girls to pieces, but you know, not having sons, sometimes you identify with the, you know, the, the boys in the class that they come to you, you know, for things because the device and that sort of thing because they know you don't have sons. Right. <laughs> so let me ask you, as a child, did you have heroes? Well, you know, it, it, it's funny you ask because. Heroes in the sense of, of 
you know, what you think is important at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sports heroes, sure. You know, I kind of lived in a little bit of a, a bubble here in Cincinnati just in the sense of because we didn't have a ton of money, we didn't do a lot of traveling, and, and the traveling would be to short distances. So a lot of a lot of the sports hero thing revolved around uh, you know the Cincinnati Reds or or maybe University of Cincinnati uh, sports because right. my brother went to UC and you know and here I was eight years younger and you know that was all a big uh, a big deal to me but uh, you know then you look back and then I have to say heroes were just you know I mean my parents and just how they were able to just show us so much love without some of the some of the money things but now growing up sports heroes it's it's funny because i always identified with and i'm left-handed i always identified <laughs> with the left-handed players who were more speedy players than than power hitters because i'm relatively short in height and it was funny that years later i came to meet and befriend and i know you'll get into that later uh ken griffey senior who at the time was just ken griffey no one referred to him as senior because on my favorite Cincinnati Reds teams, he was the left-handed outfielder right. who was the speedy player. So I identified with someone I looked up to. Well, I, I tell you, it's uh, it's been an we are going to get into that, and it's been an incredible relationship that you've built with that family, the entire family, quite frankly. And they're a special family, and I've had the opportunity through you to meet them, and uh, they're 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 quite unique and quite special. Um, let me ask you, did you play sports as a kid? And if so, what was your favorite sport? I did. And, you know, again, it, the way it worked out, my, my favorite sport to play uh, and really to watch uh, was baseball. And uh, always loved baseball. And, you know, you talked about uh, uh, your father taking you down to Crosley Field. I can remember my dad taking me down, you know, to Crosley Field at least till I was about 10 until they uh, built Riverfront Stadium. And uh, so growing up, it was it was more about baseball. I played basketball. was was you know relatively decent at it as much as a you know as much as a short Jewish guy could be. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't uh, couldn't jump real high or uh, whatever. But uh, but no, we had a, a lot of friends in our neighborhood uh, would play, and we all kind of met up at the Jewish Community Center years ago, and and kind of the our summers would revolve around sports. You know, so I was always playing baseball and and basketball and you know and and bowling on sunday morning with with the kids in the neighborhood in a bowling league so that that was me as as sports growing up so what was your uh first of all where'd you go to college i went to uc university of cincinnati so i stayed in town for undergrad um uh for those that might know of cincinnati i went to walnut hills high school which is which is a a huge uh, melting pot high school and and i think is probably very responsible for for me being able to deal with so many different kinds of people. I mean, I know it's an oversimplification, but but when I went to Walnut Hills High School, you know, and it's in the inner city, and it's kind of a drawing melting pot from all over the city, and it was one of those things where when I went there, it was basically a third African-American kids, a third Jewish kids, and then the other third were a mix of Christian others, some, some Catholics, some Protestant kids. And and that was pretty much how it was, but it was a real melting pot, and it kind of allowed me to, you know, just deal with other people and not see boundaries and see differences very much. Where, where did you end up going to law school? Law school, I stayed in Ohio, but I went to uh, University of Toledo. And, and interestingly enough, 
that was one of the few law schools at the time in the years of like 83, 4, and 5. That was one of the few law schools in the country that af- actually offered some sports, sports law-related courses. And some of it was, again, stepping back chronologically from meeting Ken Griffey Sr. early on and having me get this idea that, well, gee, maybe I can mix the two, a legal career and a sports career. And at the time, not even realizing it would be as an agent because there's other things you can do with that. So, so yes, I went to law school at University of Toledo. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the person who was uh, my professor at the time, he's probably in his early to mid-60s now, he became dean of the law school. Then he ended up going to uh, Baltimore and became dean of the law school there. And he still has me, had me up to Toledo and has me to Baltimore every so often uh, to speak at their, like, sports law days and symposiums. And he draws upon his alumni. So it's another relationship that I was able to kind of keep going all these years. So what drew you to being a lawyer? I mean, I, you know, everybody in my family, three generations, were lawyers. I went to law school, you know, for a semester, and then I kind of chose to kind of go a different direction. I wanted to build things, and, you know, I don't think being a lawyer was really going to help me build things. I think it, it for me, was a little confining, just for me. But, uh, I, you know, you, you seemed to be uh, something that you wanted to do, and then mm-hmm. I want to understand that, that what drove you to do that, and then kind of, the line that led you into being a baseball agent, which you've been for 25 years. Sure. No, once I got into, like, the later high school years, I kind of enjoyed the give and take of, of, a, of a debate, and I also kind of became more aware of government. So that kind of led me to, to become a uh, political science major uh, at the University of Cincinnati, and then I kind of minored in economics so I could get a broader a, kind of a broader uh, business sense of how the world works. So I, I felt like, you know, attorney, being an attorney was going to be my first uh, first passion as far as career-wise, even though kind of recreational sports was. But what happened was very first quarter, we were on quarters, very first quarter of freshman year in the late 70s in, 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 at University of Cincinnati, I was in this class, it was an intro to communications class, and the second week of classes, the first class of the second week, which coincided with the end of the baseball season, Ken Griffey walks into this class, and he, he was kind of low-key because, again, you know, he was, he was a great player, he'd been with the Reds about five years, but he wasn't one of, as they call, the big four. It wasn't Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, or Tony Perez, so... Ken walked into this class and uh, and very low key, and I think I was the only one that recognized him. And he looked a little lost after class, so I just went up to him and said, "Hey, you looking for the bookstore?" And he said, "Hey, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am." So the short version is we kind of struck up a uh, friendship, and I showed him where the bookstore was, and no one really recognized him until about halfway through that quarter. But that's what got me getting back to your question. That's what got me ingrained into the thinking of, well, gee, I want to be an attorney, and and I know there's different areas of the law, but you know what? Maybe I can mix this sports thing with with going to law school together. So that's what got me the first inkling of that. Now, at that time, how old would Ken Jr. have been? Uh, Ken Jr. was about eight, so so he was eight years old the first time I met him because I think it was after that first uh, quarter during winter break is when the Griffey's senior asked me over his house and uh, for dinner and I got to meet his family so junior was about 8 years old back then wow 
So as you look back, and, and I'll probably tie it to that monumental day when Ken hit his 500th home run in St. Louis, um, how did how did you how did you feel about that? And of course, you know you're going to be there with him when he goes into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, because he is certainly one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Maybe maybe the greatest. And and you know, quite frankly, I wonder how you put all those years together because you've known each other so long, mm-hmm. you've watched him grow up, and. And he was really uh, such a large part of your decision to kind of move from the law into being uh, one of the top baseball agents in the world. No, the, thanks. It, it and it 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 was very a big part of it. I mean, uh, uh, Junior is really like a younger brother to me, just like Senior is like an older brother to me. And and really, to this day, outside of you know my wife and and the immediate family, I mean. Senior is and Junior are probably two of the best friends uh, that I have, and, and they became just such a big part of things. And, and they're just so generous. I mean, if anyone knows personally, the Griffies have been around them. They're just very, you know, very calm, unassuming people, and just very generous. I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many first cousins and nieces and nephews that Junior has paid for and put through college uh, over the years and, and, and done so happily so they can kind of better themselves. But no, the Griffies have been a a huge part. And, and uh, you know, Senior just was so helpful all those years. I, I was friends with him like all the years that I was in college and I would go watch him play. And, and, and I think that the reason why he was so anxious to help me was because I never asked him for anything. It, right. it was easy when I first met him because the baseball season had just ended, so I couldn't ask him for tickets. And I wasn't really into the autograph thing back then, so I didn't ask him for anything. So he saw me as a as a friend, and then really not until years later, like during law school, did we talk about you know mixing the the two the legal career with some sports and how he could help. And again, I never even asked. He made the, the overture. He made the offer. So that's how instrumental they've been in helping me all these years. So where where were you when he hit his 600th home run? <clears throat> Excuse me. I was actually with Junior. Uh, I remember they had had uh, uh, a long road trip, and he went into, it was June of 2008, what happened was when he hit his 600th, they were going into uh, Miami to play the Marlins, and he had hit his uh, 599th the series before, I think it might have been in Colorado. So they had a four-game series in Miami. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And so I remember going there, meeting up with them, because their family for years has lived in Orlando. So his wife, Melissa, you know, packed up the kids, and they drove from Orlando to Miami and kind of camped out there for the next few days. And don't you know it, on the last uh, game of the series, it was a Monday night. That's when Junior hit his 600th home run. It was his first at bat then, and um, it it was just – it was unbelievable. I mean, it was really emotional. And he pointed to me afterwards to come down because he wanted to – he wanted to hand me or, or show me, uh, introduce me to someone from security who was going to go try to help get the baseball. Wow. Yeah. So was his dad there then also? No, that that one he wasn't um, because he was working uh, for the Reds. He was uh, working That's for the right. Reds. And uh, what happened was on the 500th, though, um, that one senior was there. And, and it kind of worked out great because 
I wasn't there for the 500th, but Senior was. It was in St. Louis, and it was on Father's Day. So it wow. was kind of nice that he was there. And, you know, there's footage of Junior walking up to the, to the first row and presenting him with the ball because the fan was really – at that point, at that one, who was really friendly and was willing to help and just kind of gave the ball back. And then Junior kind of heaped a bunch of things upon him, some gifts and a free trip to the All-Star game. But it was nice that Senior was there to kind of feel that moment. And Senior couldn't be there for the 600th, but it was nice that I was there with, with uh, Junior's family. Do you have a greatest moment of your life, uh, uh, the life of a sports agent? Has that happened yet, or do you think maybe it's when he goes into the Hall of Fame, or is there one no, particular thing you can hang your hat on? I can up to this point. I mean, and maybe things will hit me when he goes into the Hall of Fame in, in a different way, but it kind of mixes the two the two things of, of the whole passion of sports but the whole family issue. The, 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 the biggest moment professionally as, as a sports agent had to be, without a doubt, at the end of the 1990 season, um, when they played together for about the last five weeks of that season and then for most of, of 91, but at the end of the 1990 season, there was a Friday night in Anaheim in early September, and I would not have been there. I was there for the first game the Griffies played together in Seattle about about two weeks earlier, but Junior had uh, I had booked him an autograph signing because you know back then the the rookie minimum was was not that much and and this was actually his second year but he was not up for arbitration so he wasn't making that much money and so he had, I booked him an autograph signing that weekend for like I think a Saturday late morning early afternoon and then the game was Saturday night so this was the night before it was the first game of a series in Anaheim and the Angels were fighting for for the division title. The Mariners were not very good in 1990. So the Angels were in second place, just a few games out. So the game meant something to them, and they had a big crowd in Anaheim. And on that Friday night, after they had been playing together about 10 or 12 games up to that point, um, the batting order was Harold Reynolds, who's now on TV, is, you know, on, he had been on ESPN, and now he's on MLB Network. He was the leadoff hitter. He walked to start the game. Ken Sr. batted second, hit a home run, on the second pitch, then Junior, who was the third hitter, came up after Senior. On the third pitch, he hit a home run. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, so I have to say just in a, in a baseball sense and just in a family sense, that, that'll never happen again. Father and son, not just playing together, but hitting back-to-back home runs. And I have to say, uh, professionally up to this point, that had to be my best moment watching uh, that. You know, I'll tell you, clearly, uh, we're about to take a commercial break, but uh, you've been blessed to have great people like that in your life and a great family, and obviously it couldn't ha- happen to a greater guy. I mean, I've known you a long, long time, and no, you know, sometimes you. things happen for a reason, but certainly you were the right person in the right time, so I commend you on it. Uh, this is Jimmy Gould. It's time for us to take a commercial break uh, with my special guest, Brian Goldberg. You're listening to A Current Life, brought to you by Smartwater and AdSpace Mall Network. Please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Well, welcome back to A Current Life. We're here with my special guest and business partner, Brian Goldberg. Uh, Brian, um, I want to ask you um, kind of, what types of things for our listeners? You know, this, this show goes into 180 plus countries and goes all over the the world. And and I think there's a lot of people that are interested and, quite frankly, in experiencing and going into sports marketing and being an agent. Um, I'm sure you get a lot of calls like I do in the football business. What type mm-hmm. of things does an agent do in order to help a player, especially a player like Ken Griffey Jr.? Well, probably the very first frontline thing that an agent does is is negotiate the contract for the player. Obviously, there's all kinds of different players, whether they're so highly in demand or whether it's somebody that's fighting and scratching, <clears throat> excuse me, just to get to the highest level. But probably the the first thing, the first kind of line of defense, if you will, is is negotiating the playing contract and positioning that player in the best possible light to keep his employment going at the at the major league level and and for the highest compensation that he can get because you know it could be a short career so that's kind of the the front line and then under that you have what i call organizing the off the field requests um and what goes with the the front line thing too besides negotiating the contract is keeping the player's relationship uh positive and active with the team that he plays for but then under that you have what I call organizing the off the field requests, and those can be things from from uh, if it's a player high in demand um, being asked to do a, a commercial endorsement or an appearance, or it could be uh, uh, from a media end being asked to do some some special interview or TV show that they go through the agent for, um, and then under that is really trying to get the player to do the right thing. A lot of players will do the right thing on their own, but by that I mean more charitable work. And most players, for, for people out there who are sports fans, most players are really good and want to do the right thing. Sometimes players don't know, and they have to be pointed in the right, in the right direction. Players can get defensive uh, because maybe they had a bad experience with, with a fan just coming up and grabbing them or something that even the person meant no harm, but but most players really do want to do the right thing. They just have to be kind of shown a way that, that they're protected, but they're doing the right thing. But those are the main jobs that I see as my role as a sports agent to a, specifically a baseball player. 
Um, you know, as Kenny uh, is getting, and by the way, before I ask you this question, I had an incredible experience with, with, with Junior when I was on the board of Prevent Child Abuse America, and he was so incredibly warm with the kids, and we had an event in every stadium in the country, and he was our representative in Ohio and Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and he was very gracious. Um, clearly, he was busy, and yet you could tell that he liked kids. I mean, he just, you know, oh, yeah. he goofed around with my son and, and, you know, all the kind of stuff and played tricks with him and the whole thing. And so I've always felt very close to Junior from that standpoint. And that was really before you and I became partners. I just feel mm-hmm. that you have a special client. And clearly, you've done a wonderful job at, at, at guiding him as well as his family has. And, and Obviously, you, there's another Griffey in the future with his son, Trey, and we'll talk a little bit about him, too. But I want to ask you, as, as Junior's getting closer and closer to being eligible for the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that experience, about him being indu- inducted into it? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very proud of him, not just because of the great career he had on the field, but because of the way he's conducted himself off the field. Um, and even jumping back, the, the, the career itself, you know, one thing that I'm not sure a lot of players could have handled as graciously as Junior has is is as great as everything was those first 11 years, I'll call it the disappointment for him in those next uh, probably 11 years um, of just all the injuries he had and just it, it was so unfortunate, but he was just he was always so graceful and, and just gracious about being appreciative of, of the skills that he was blessed with but you know he would get upset a couple times when he would be injured but he never looked at it as though oh shoot because i had all these injuries i missed out on this many home runs or 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 that sort of thing and so so those are the things that i look back as, as a player that that really will be special when he when he does go into the hall of fame just how he conducted himself through the disappointments but also how he did off the field so for our listeners, I mean, uh, you obviously know these figures, but I'm just curious. He's ended his career now that he's retired. What were some of the statistics that just stand out that are just amazing when you look at also some of the games that he missed in his career because of the injury? Sure. I, I think the the home runs that, that, you know, even though the injuries plagued him the the second half of his career as far as numbers of years played, just how quickly he made those first milestones. I mean, I believe he was he was like the the youngest to to 300, then 400, then then you know one of the youngest to 500 because he had the injuries maybe those couple years before. And you know th- those milestones will just always jump out at me. Just the number of years that he was hitting, you know, 45, 50, 56 home runs back to back. And I know you may get into this, but doing it cleanly, you know, and in just the right way. Well, I, you know, I am going to get into it because there won't be any asterisk next to his name. And uh, my, my belief in watching him play, first of all, he had the most beautiful swing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I mean, I love baseball. I don't miss any game ever. He had the most beautiful swing I think I've ever seen. I mean, I love Josh Hamilton's swing. Mm-hmm. But Ken Griffey Jr. had the most beautiful swing I ever saw. And I used to imitate these, you know, the swings and everything. It just wasn't a lot of movement. You know, he mm-hmm. was just still. And then 
it just was just fluid. It was almost like like I watch football players when they when they catch a pass. It was like a ballet dancer. I mean, there was a rhythm <laughs> and an art to it, and you could tell that he studied it and he watched it and he knew and he knew exactly what he was doing. And so, I mean, he ended up with what six hundred and sixty? Am I right? Six hundred plus? I think six thirty. Six hundred and thirty home runs, which mm-hmm. puts him what six on the all-time list. Yes, six on the all-time list. Yes. And, and when you think about the injuries, and you think about in the latter part of his career and the actual games he played, I mean, he clearly, in my mind, would have. And I happen to be very close friends with Henry Aaron, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we've been involved with him. And he, again, is another one that would never have an asterisk next to his name. But it's the players like Griffey and Willie Mays and Henry Aaron. Frank Robinson, that really stand out for me in my life. And, and I just find it sad today, frankly, that there's some really great ballplayers that just, you know, uh, decided that they would taint their career. And, and you know, I, I do believe, I may be in the minority, but I do believe a guy like Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame because of what he did between the lines. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel that way when there, you have steroids involved. And I'm curious, do you have an opinion on that? Well, I mean, obviously, I do, and and I know Junior's been a little hesitant to to really get into it a lot uh, when he's asked, and a lot of it's because he just knows no matter what he says, some of it's going to be, uh, you know, right. taken the wrong way. Because what he's told me in private is with him uh, why there was never even a great temptation it, you know some of these players maybe get get really tempted even if they do the right thing and they're like no 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 by way I won't do it with him there was never a great temptation because he knew he was blessed with so much talent that the ball player he was was always secondary to the fact that he was a good husband good father great right. uh, uh, son to his to his parents so he never defined himself, even though he knew the rest of the world identified him as, oh, the great baseball player. He never thought that was the most important thing, who he was. So he never even felt the temptation. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, these players get, get caught up in, you know, thinking that, that, you know, because of the money that's involved in the sports, they have to do this and have to do that. And a lot of the t- players that I feel badly for, um, just a player that, you know, maybe a, a hardcore Reds or Colorado Rockies fan would have heard of, but a player that, that I represented when he played uh, named Chris Sexton, one of the sure. nicest guys you'd ever want to meet from, from Cincinnati, Ohio, great, great uh, academic high school at St. Xavier he went to, and then Chris went on to UC and play ball. Chris had, oh, I'll say, about two years of major league service that was stretched over about five different seasons of partial call-ups that added together uh, came to to two years, but Chris is someone that I feel really badly for because he did everything the right way, and it was at the time that so many guys were were taking, if not steroids, different things that were close to steroids to to increase their performance. Chris is someone that could have probably had a ten year major league career, if not a starter, as a good first, second guy off the bench kind of player, and he's the type of guy that got aced out of a good long major league career because so many guys were getting their edge that way. Those are the guys I really feel bad yeah. for. Well, I appreciate that. Um, let me ask you. So I know in the football business I've had some pretty strange requests, not only from players but from fans uh, from time to time, you know, in terms of requests and things like that. Is there just something that just jumps out at you as the most ridiculous 
request that you've ever gotten, whether it's from a player or whether it's from a fan or a, or some group that wanted to request something? Probably the the most ridiculous one, although compared to the, to the type of person Junior <laughs> is, the one recently was pretty good, but probably the most ridiculous one was after his rookie season, and this was before him and Senior played together. Ken Senior was, was back on like a second tour of duty as a part-time uh, first baseman outfielder with the Reds in 89 and most of ni- 88, 89 and most of 90. But what, what, what happened was after Junior's first season, 89 was over and Senior was still playing, I got a call from Playgirl Magazine, which was big at the time, and they wanted to have the both uh, of the Griffies pose nude. <laughs> that would just like you know here I was this kind of wet behind the ear kid maybe I was 29 myself at the Did time. Did you take and, it to him by the way? Oh yeah, oh I tell him everything, and, and uh, <laughs> even though I knew what the answer would be, and, and uh, I guess uh, I guess they were they were trying to you know appeal to they thought maybe senior would be the tougher one to the tougher nut to crack because the way they kind of posed it to me they were like well you know. The kid is only 19, but the father's a little more handsome and nicer looking. So we'd like to have both of them posed together. So I think they were trying to they were trying to appeal to senior being the older one. But those guys just kind of laughed it off. And then and then recently, and again this isn't as ridiculous. But if you know Junior and you know the type of family person he is and kind of pretty private about about family uh, you know day to day business. The recent uh, one, which which you know about, was uh, from ABC. They wanted uh, to know if Junior wanted to be on uh, Celebrity Wife Swap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually got one of the calls to pass along to you because you were out. And I really didn't want to even, like, engage in it. But I said, well, that's not my job. I'm going to pass it along because maybe there's something I'm not aware about. And I went into you, and you said, oh, I already know about that one, you know. It's kind of like, wow. You know, and I... You know, and in the football business, it's really bizarre. I mean, you get stuff that just, you know, I mean, I've been offered to have some of my defensive tackles pull a truck a certain distance or a hot dog (laughs) eating contest or, you know, I mean, stuff where, you know, I got an offensive tackle who weighs 350 pounds and how many hot dogs do you think he can eat in 60 minutes, you know, or 60 seconds? And I go, I don't know, and I'm not going to ask him because I'm trying to get him to lose weight. You know, it's kind of like... exactly. It's pretty bizarre. So let me ask you, over the years, obviously you've 25 years as a, a top baseball agent. I'm sure you've had a lot of impact on the union and in the various deals in Major League Baseball. Is there a favorite experience that you can remember in dealing with Major League Baseball? And, and what's it like dealing with you know, those guys and with Seelig and stuff? Mm-hmm. No, those are, those are great uh, topics to hit on. Probably as a baseball agent, you know, the, the – the professional part of it, the the doing a contract, negotiating, you know, making making some some good income off of off of your hard work. Probably the my favorite moment, and I know my mom talks about this often, is the first time that that the Mariners wanted to negotiate a long term contract with Ken Jr. and I think it was after he had been maybe two or three years in the majors, and it was in the off season, and my whole family went um, to his wedding. Uh, it was before we had kids because I've been married about a year longer than Junior, so I took my besides my wife, the Robin, took my parents to Seattle, and uh, and I remember during that time we were there, I had a meeting set up with the Mariners at the uh, hotel we were at, 
and we were negotiating on the blackboard, kind of their first long-term offer to Junior, and just I, I took my dad to the meeting, and he'd never seen you know numbers like that. I hadn't negotiated numbers like that. I've certainly read about them, and just to see the look on his face and how proud he was that you know just negotiating this contract that they were talking about millions of dollars you know over a over a four year period and that 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 really stands out as kind of a proud moment professionally well you know for our listeners i believe you did the first 100 million dollar contract in major league baseball isn't that true it, it is true and and strangely enough even though it was a milestone it was you know and i have to give junior again tons of credit for this cuz even with the disappointment of how many injuries he had over the last half of his career, that $100 million plus contract that he did when he came to Cincinnati was done in a way where he left so much money on the table because that was the only way that he could make a deal like that work with a smaller market team. He had to do two things. Right. Number one, take a lot less money than had already been offered by the Mariners, which, again, him, him leaving the Mariners halfway through his career – um, was was basically just a geographical and family decision. It had nothing to do with, with the money because he took a lot less to come to Cincinnati, but he had to do two things. Number one, take a lot less, and number two, spread it out over time. So even with doing the first $100 million contract, it ended up being so much you know less money, and, and it's still crazy crazy numbers, crazy dollars. But, but I do remember that that was uh, right before the uh, 2000 season. So tell me, you, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting another terrific player that you represent in Major League Baseball, Cameron Mabin of the San mm-hmm. Diego Padres. Um, tell me a little bit about your relationship with Cameron. And uh, First of all, in person, he's, a, he's just a terrific guy like Junior. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is, you seem to find the kind of guys that are, they find you that, that are just really good people. And that's what I strive for in football. I want people that I can spend my time with and not look behind my back and worry about whether they're going to disappear on me. Uh, exactly. And, and, and the situation with Cameron, you know, again, going back to this, this family and old friends that you're still friends with kind of, uh, kind of uh, scenario, Cameron, after his junior year in high school, played on this, this touring summer league team for great high school players. Um, there's a team in Cincinnati. It's uh, sponsored by the Midland Insurance Company, and they call themselves the Midland Redskins. So Cameron got recruited, came to play for this team, and they housed the players with families. So who does Cameron get housed with? He gets housed with a family where I grew up with both the father and the mother. (laughs) And (laughs) it was just, you know, one of those things. And and, uh, uh, the the father, uh, his name is Tom Rosenbaum, and who's son uh, Danny, Danny pitches yeah, yeah Danny pitches for uh, the Washington Nationals in the minor league system but Tommy uh had called me and said hey I got this kid that that's rooming uh, uh at our house and uh Ken Junior's his favorite player any chance of meeting Junior so I kind of arranged it where where he met Ken Junior and I kind of struck up a relationship and a friendship with uh, Cameron and his dad and it turned into representing him where a year after that when he was a senior in high school he ended up being the tenth pick in the first round of the uh, baseball draft. He was uh, drafted at the time by the Detroit Tigers, and he ended up signing. He's gotten traded and now plays for the San Diego Padres. But that was that was an introduction based on an old friendship. 
So let me ask a few questions. We, we get emails constantly to send to a currentlife.com at Voice America, um, uh, which is the largest, uh, world's largest Internet uh, uh, radio network. And one of them was for me to ask you, how do you feel about the designated hitter? And if it were an option in both the American and National League, would Junior uh, maybe have been able to either play longer or maybe not have suffered such a, and serious injuries? Uh, on that end of it, the second part of the question, prob- probably so, and I've, t- I've even asked him about it. But again, to his credit, he never never sounds bitter, like, oh, if I didn't have injuries, I'd have this many home runs. Or, oh, sure. if, if uh, these guys weren't taking steroids, I'd be three notches higher on the home run list right. than here. Never said that. But as far as the DH itself, I, I'm a fan of the fact that one league has it and one doesn't. Now, having said that, with interleague play and all that, the leagues are not as autonomous as they have been in the past. But, but if the leagues were more autonomous and there was not uh, so much of the interleague play, I'm a fan of, of the one league having it and one league not. So as a novice baseball agent, okay, I would mm-hmm. say that growing up at Carlsby Field and as a bit of a purist when it comes to this great traditional sport, I love the psychology of the manager having to make a decision when he's going to pull his pitcher and mm-hmm. not when he comes up to bat. And I really don't like the DH because I think it takes away from that kind of mental battle. And, you know, I mean, you can hear me sometimes scream and yell about Dusty <laughs> and moves he makes at the Reds. Also, I think he, he, he did an amazing job last year with all those injuries and the injury to Votto and mm-hmm. winning 96 or 97 games. But I just think it allows for a more mental kind of league. And, I, and that's what I like watching about baseball. I hate it when people say to me, oh, it's so boring. Well, you know what? Then they don't understand it because it's the most exciting game in the world. Oh, no, it's true. And, and I think the one thing that, that people that are maybe casual fans but not serious fans, the, the difference if maybe the casual fan can become the serious fan is that cat and mouse game between the pitcher and the batter. And, and I should say even the catcher and the pitcher – together becoming on the same page and then the batter there's such a cat and mouse game mentally and, and so many times I've, I've talked to players about you know well yeah the first two times up you know he got me out on this so i knew he would try to go back to this and then do this pitch and that's where i think maybe the real the fans who are really into baseball don't think of it as boring or slow paced because they get into the mental aspect of the cat and mouse game between the the uh, the pitcher and the batter well, let me ask you, you know, we've got about six minutes left in the show, and uh, I want to know, what is your favorite part of being a Major League Baseball agent, and what's your least favorite part? Favorite part has probably got to be the people I've met over the years, and, and it kind of goes back to a question you had earlier that maybe I didn't even get to answer fully. Um, you had mentioned, like, Commissioner Seelig and, and that sort of thing. But probably the best part is the people that I've gotten to meet over the years. I mean, there's such a more of a human element to these people, again, than, than maybe the fan realizes who's just reading an article on the paper and that sort of thing. And I, and I have to tell you that the three or four times over the years that I've personally met and talked to uh, Bud Seelig, just, you know, e- even if someone disagrees with, say, an executive decision he has made – I have to tell you, this is one of the most friendly, 
gentlemanly, big-hearted, cares about people, uh, really looks out for the the smaller town, so to speak, uh, interest in the game, and and just real human element. I mean, uh, just the people I've gotten to meet over the years from people like like Commissioner Seelig and and some of the famous. Uh, uh, sports writers and, and media people over the years, and other players. I mean, junior and senior both have always been so so friendly that they get along with not just other players, but they've always gotten along with the umpires and the and the front office people, and even ownership people. That's another uh, favorite part of the game. Once you deal with, and sure, once in a while you have a disagreement with a contractor or somebody like that uh, in ownership or management. But just the people, I mean, the, the, the club president of the Seattle Mariners, who has been the club president since the, since the early 80s, except for about a two- or three-year gap when there was different ownership, and then he came back under the current ownership. Uh, his name's Chuck Armstrong. He, he's like an uncle to Junior, and he's, he's you know, almost that uh, uh, to me. And sure, we've had to negotiate opposite things before, but, I mean, Chuck has a heart of gold and just cares so much about about Seattle and the ball club and and that sort of thing. As far as the flip side, though, just to answer the other part of your question, the least favorite um, part of the job, it's really when you have clients that are just such good people and they're good ball players, but they just can't get over that last hump. They're, they've got a good minor league career and they just maybe have had a couple chances in the majors and they just haven't been able to cut it and then they get released and can't hook on again or guys that that you wish had a chance to show their wares in the majors but they never have a chance that's probably the the least favorite thing is seeing the heartbreak of of good people not being able to make it so let me ask you in a minute or so that we've got left and I again I deeply appreciate Brian Goldberg you know you sharing your journey with us uh, it means a lot to us here on a current life um, as you look back on your journey I'd like to ask you what I've asked, you know, several of the people like Bob Costas and Leslie Stahl and Marlo Thomas and Nicholas Sparks and all the people we've had on the show. What do you feel is the meaning of life, the true purpose of life? I feel that it's, it's being able to balance, and, and balance is that key word, being able to balance the things that are important to you, the, the, the fact that you want to have a successful career at whatever you're passionate about, whether it's, you know, business or, or sports or mixing something together. And it's that balancing act of being successful personally and at what you're passionate about while at the same time being a solid, solid citizen in the community, be it also in the community, but also a solid husband, father, wife, mother, partner, son, daughter, and, and it's really that balancing act, which unfortunately has gotten harder in today's world. We have great modern conveniences, and, and that's all for the good, but what comes with that and the immediacy of wanting something now and that sort of thing is, is you know, succumbing to temptation, but it's really that balancing act of being successful at what you want to do personally while at the same time being a good person as a family member. Well, that's a great answer. Our time is almost up. I'd like to go ahead and thank Brian Goldberg for sharing his journey with us. We're very appreciative that you're able to join us today. I'd My like pleasure. also to thank our listeners for tuning into our current life on the Voice of America Variety Channel. 
This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode. We'll have Traveris Cadet on the show um, from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, success. And to my dear friend and partner, Brian Goldberg, uh, it's been a true pleasure to know you these many, many years. I think it's probably going on 30 years. And uh, I think every baseball kid in the world should come there and sign on with you because you're one heck of a role model and you do a great job. And uh, my thanks to you and to Junior and to his father, Ken, and to the great many, many, many hours of pleasure you've brought us on the field and off the field. Uh, God bless you, and thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. This has been my pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 